Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Tangerine and Yellow. It is from the album Strange Paradise by my guest today, Sarah Laporta. And uh, Sarah Laporta also plays with Thor and Friends and Telenovela. So she's uh, been around the music block, so to speak. And uh, her album is great, by the way. And there's links to buy it in uh, the Bandcamp link, which is, it's out by, Perpetual Doom put it out, and Perpetual Doom is one of my favorite labels. I've had a number of their guests, or their artists as guests, Grady Strange, Ryan Sambal, Little Wings, Austin Leonard Jones, the list goes on and on. Uh, but Perpetual Doom is a great label, very small label, support them, go buy this album, Go buy other albums. Go to their Bandcamp. I'll put the that link in the show notes. Peruse the great music that is uh, from Perpetual Doom. And he also he puts out books and all kinds of cool shit. Like, it's a really... Lou is um, has all my respect. He's got a great brain. And you know who else has all my respect? Sarah Laporta. This is a really great episode. So I want you to enjoy it. She's really fantastic. Buy her music. And uh, speaking of which, there the conversation with Sarah, there's two parts. There's the free part that you get here, wherever you're listening to this on your Apple Music or whatnots, or your Apple Podcasts. And then the part two lives on my Patreon page. You can go to themattdwire.com, become a Patreon subscriber for $5, and listen to about 40 minutes of extra conversation. And most of my episodes, not all, but I would say 98% of my episodes have a part two that lives on my Patreon or there's also often the unedited interview in its entirety in audio and or video. And you can watch the video of Sarah and I talk. You can look at my stupid face and her splendid face. And uh, that's that. Oh, and there's uh, blogs. I do blogs and sometimes I do music reviews, but not typical music reviews. Because A, I wouldn't shit on anybody's music. and uh, But just, you know a different approach, I think, to music. I haven't done one in a while. I actually am overdue. Um, and if you need a website, by the way, if you're looking to do a website, the Patreon, uh, you can go to kellyrdwire.com. That's my partner. She makes websites. And she does them for, like, big... F she does mine. And then she does very successful podcasts, like My Favorite Murder. And the Exactly Right website. And ologies. And politicians. And actors. And artists. She does all kinds of websites. So please... Go get a website from her. And I think that is it. Remember the part two. I think that's. Uh, I think I covered everything. I'm a little fuzzy in the head. Yesterday was Father's Day. Man, did I Father Day it up. I mean, I recorded this the day after Father's Day. This is probably... You could be listening to this for five years from where I'm speaking. It's like a weird form of time travel. Anyway, enough of my bullshit. Here's my conversation with the great... Sarah Laporta. I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I prepared for this by taking a shovel full of uh, dead baby bunnies oh. over to the pond, which is how I always prepare for, you know, anything important. So. Did you really? <laughs> you must be in the country. I am, yeah. Or you're, yeah. or, or you're a psychopath. One of, one of. <laughs> I'm in the country and I have dogs. 
So they, they sniff things out. If there's something out there to be found, they'll find it. Um, that's interesting. I found a baby lizard in my bathroom today, so we're having... Sp- oh, mine, nice. was, mine was alive, but... Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I was worried because I have dogs as well, and though they're kind of coward dogs. What kind of lizard? What kind of dog? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. They're both important. But. They're b- both terrier mixes and both <laughs> neurotic and, you know, extensions of me, neurotic and crazy. Yeah. Your avatar, yeah. Yeah, and what a, what a, what kind of dogs do you have? They're both little terrier type mixes too. Oh, yeah. so kind of like finding little rodent type things is sort of in their genetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot to find. I feel bad because yesterday I was blaming my dog for there, this. Is not the, yesterday there were two dead bunnies. Today there were three. So that's a total of five, and one disappeared. One disappeared in the time that it took me to go get a shovel. So I don't know what happened to that one. But uh, yeah, yesterday there were two and I was so mad at my dog. I was like, no dinner for you. You know, don't be killing dead bunnies. I mean, don't be killing, don't be making dead bunnies out of live bunnies. Babies too. So anyway, as I was sitting here going, don't mention the dead bunnies, don't mention the dead bunnies. And then I thought. I'll just get that out of the way. I see. I'm fascinated by the dead bunnies because it's a, I know it's, that's the big difference between urban life and rural life is like my buddy grew up on a farm and his dad would just snap the neck of bunnies because they would eat like it's survival <laughs> where people in the city would be like, why are you snapping the cute bunny's neck? And it's like, cause it's going to eat my food. Right. Yeah. I've, my grandmother has stories like that too. They always really, yeah, sounded country life sounded so brutal compared to what I was used to. Yeah, and I don't know. I can't speak for you, but you know, I grew. Up, I didn't grow up like I grew up very working class, but it was very. You know, I didn't. You didn't have to do shit. You just got. <laughs> you just, like, I didn't have to kill anything or like. Mm-mm. There was nothing that was survival based except you know, the video store, I guess, and them <laughs> <laughs> fighting to get that new release. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and there was, yeah, I never snapped anyone's neck there. <laughs> you know, there's still time. There's still time for yeah. snap. <laughs> That's why I don't go back. I saw Paradise, New York attached to one of your locations. Is that where you are? Well, that's not the real name of where I live, but I live, uh, yeah, I live in upstate rural New York. Farther than when... People think of upstate, I think they think of the Woodstock or Catskill area, but I'm much further north. I'm almost four hours from the city. So, of this, the city of New York. So, I live uh, close to Vermont and the West Massachusetts border. Oh, I'm looking to get the fuck out of LA, so that interests me. <laughs> oh, good. It's good up here. I really, really like it up here. Uh, was it, were you living in Austin and then you ended up in this rural space? Yeah. With a, with a stop in between, I moved right before the pandemic. I moved in February, 2020 to a, to an old church in Troy, New York. And, uh, I, I thought maybe I would go to the city after that, but then a month later it was a full lockdown. So it was just me in this church 
during the pandemic. I didn't really know that many people. I didn't know anyone in Troy. Um, so then, yeah, my partner was in New York City at the time. He came up to Troy, and then we moved up to the country, still during the pandemic, because we're still during the pandemic now. Is that kind of surreal to live in a church during a lockdown? Yeah. <laughs> seems, like a, seems like a, a, a film of sorts. It was so appropriate. I, it was up on a hill, too. So I was in, up, up on a hill in a church that was built in 1885 or something, like a fortress with a, a door that you had to twist a big heavy metal ring and pull your full weight against it to open it. So I felt fortified and loaded. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel closer to God? Very much so. Yeah. That's kind of, I don't, was it a creepy church? Cause a lot of churches creep me out personally. No, you could tell I'm not religious. <laughs> it was creepy. It was good. Do you like creepy? Um, in that, in some ways. Yeah. In some I mean, when I say creepy, I mean silence. Uh, the air was very still. Stained glass windows, not a lot of light coming in from the outside. So that's that's a little creepy. Um, but I'd never felt scared there. So it's really fascinating to me. And what? How did you end up in Troy and end in a church? That's also just like a. Yeah, that is strange. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted, I don't know, I found that church. Troy, the, tr- Troy was not the specific destination, although I liked that it was called Troy. You know, all of the, just the mythological association with Troy was intriguing. But I didn't know anything about Troy, although it's a very cute city. It's like um, a stand-in sometimes in movies for old New York. Oh, inter- oh, so it's... A little- Did you know Uncle Sam was a real guy? Uh, I wasn't sure. So he's from Troy? Yeah, I still don't know what he did or anything, but he is from there. That's wild. And it's very, I think. Is it a little bit more urban in field than like a small town, like a very small city? Yeah, it is. It's really close to Albany. It's right across the Hudson. And they make the uh, comparison to... If Albany is the Manhattan, then Troy is the Brooklyn. Not a not a very good comparison. Those kind of cities fascinate me. Like that's where I kind of would like to live, but I don't know what the fuck I would do there either. Like what? Like you You would just same thing you do there, but here probably panic. (laughs) you, You, I think you would like it. I think everyone would like it. I think everyone should move here. Uh, that's interesting. And did you just randomly pick Troy? Like, I'm going to go to Troy, or is there some sort of reason? It was the church, actually. Because the church was in Troy. Somebody showed me the church, and I went up to visit it, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go get all my stuff in Austin and come here. I dig this. I dig that that, that's... was Was it as spontaneous as it sounds? Sort of. Yeah. I had to leave Texas. But why? Things are going so well. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know to reply to that. Um, 
Yeah, no, I had to leave Texas. I didn't know where I was going. I wanted to come to New York. Um, I thought maybe the city. Uh, my mom's from upstate New York, so it kind of felt like the homeland or something in a way. The willow trees, and I like the I like the plants up here. I want to get to willow trees in a second because that sticks out to me because I know that's your favorite tree. But I wanted to ask of how living in the church was it. Did you find inspiration within that? Was there a, I would, yeah. that seems like it would be a creatively inspiring and sort of space to live in. Yeah, it really was. And I, because it was the pandemic, you know, I haven't performed music since before the pandemic. And I used to do that a lot. I used to do that too much. But uh, living in the church, I started making a lot of visual art and it was a good place for that. And the, the stained glass windows started really attracting my attention. Um, and I started seeing the bigger shapes that were overlapping to make the, these shapes in the stained glass windows, like, or even the shape of the windows themselves, the arches. One day it just occurred to me that the, the arch was an overlapping of two circles, which I never thought about before. But when you're in a church every day, looking at the windows, you, you start to see those patterns. So it was really inspiring. And I had a lot of time, a lot of time. So I kind of shifted my focus, I guess, to, to making things, visual things. And I finished my album, but that had been going on for a long time. So, uh, But you said you hadn't performed music in a long time. Did I, or did I misunderstand that? Performed live. Life performance, yeah. You said you were doing it too much. Was it? Was that just distracting from other life things that you wanted to be focusing on? Yeah, well, I didn't even have... I didn't know what I wanted to be focusing on, but it's hard to have a life, to really make a life and be on the road for, I don't know, five or six months each year. Every time you have to quit your job or, you know, find someone to live in your house. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I can mentally do that anymore. Like I used to do a lot of, and it's just like, now I can't leave. Now you can't get me out of my house. <laughs> I've become a fucking recluse in my mind and I'm, I'm totally fine. Like I don't need anybody. I mean, I have a wife and kids, so I do need, but I mean like, I don't need that stimulation all the time anymore. Yeah, I think the pandemic these last few years have taught uh, some, some of us that maybe maybe we like being uh, a recluse more than we might have admitted before or even had the chance to experience. Yeah, I'm curious if that shift of how people... Because, you know, I keep hearing the god-awful phrase, nobody wants to work anymore. And I'm like, yeah, they do. They just don't want to work for bullshit anymore. Like, And yeah. I always have known that <laughs> and did everything I possibly could to avoid that world. But I'm like, and I, you know, once you are in that world, you're like, I, I did work that in like a nine to five for a while. And I was like, I'm going to hurt myself. Like, this is not how we're meant to be. And yeah. for what? For some other motherfucker? <laughs> totally. Yeah, I had some friends 
I talk to during the lockdown and ask them how they're doing introverts mostly. And I remember one of them said, I feel really bad saying this, but I'm happier than I've ever been before. And I was, I thought, no, you don't have to feel bad that, you know, one month away from working a soul sucking job has made you feel good. You know, don't feel guilty about that. Yeah. I knew a lot of people who sort of seemed to find themselves. I know a lot of married couples who discovered different aspects of their relationships or people who, whose gender and sexuality changed. And I think it's just like, what that says to me is we're not supposed to spend this much time distracted and focusing and struggling. We're supposed to sit with ourselves and learn and not be obsessed with paying rent and all that. And maybe is that an obvious observation? I don't know, but no, I don't think, I don't think it's obvious because I think we're used to, we're used to these ideas that we have, but they're not all true that they're not all true that we now, now we have it. We humans have it easier than we ever had and things like that. Do you know what I mean? I like, do. Technology did, maybe did not, there was a time when technology, it was imagined that more technology would mean less work for people. And people believed that, you know, <laughs> but it didn't work out that way, really. Yeah. Robert Thurman, who's a Buddhist writer, you may or may not know, but he was saying that more than ever, we're at a point of, of human suffering because of social media and because of all these things that are supposed to make things better. But it's made us, and I can't disagree with that. Like, I feel like we're so more, I see friends of mine who are beautiful people who have to throw on 50 fucking filters on each photo. I'm like, what do you, what, what is the disconnect here? Like, why are you doing this? You're a beautiful person. Yeah, I think it applies to so many aspects of our life. I can see the seed at the beginning, the problem that we are trying to fix by inventing you know, the car or whatever. There was, there was a, something that we wanted to make easier. And then we, we would just take whatever that is and run with it. Valuing convenience. I don't even hear, when I hear convenience, I don't even think of that as a good thing anymore. Really. You know what I mean? I do. Because I've been thinking about this a lot lately and the way that things are going with like climate change. I'm like, we we need to, and not not should, we need to, eliminate air travel we need to get cars and all this shit needs to go away for our basic survival and it's gonna go if we are able to achieve this we're gonna have to go backwards to Mm -hmm. tech not tech technology wise and convenience wise and i just hope and i i forgive me for saying this dumb fuck america can fucking get over their need to consume and dispose to do it because there's such we're, as a nation. I feel like we're a bunch of spoiled, big fat fucking babies. <laughs> we don't really know how to do very many things for ourselves. It seems like, and we also so part of it's a language problem. Maybe that when we talk about sustainability, we the opposite of sustainability is unsustainability, but unsustainability is annihilation, you know? But it sounds like such a harmless word. 
well, that's unsustainable. But what does that really mean? Unsustainable, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did any of that come into play with your deciding to leave Texas? Um, well, it's not why I personally left, but it is, it makes it very hard to live by your values in Texas. I felt like I was already a hypocrite who had told a thousand lies by the time I woke up in bed, you know, by the time I opened my eyes in the morning, like I've already, (laughs) I've already done so many things I'm against. And that's a hard thing to make up for. Right. Like that probably sounds like an exaggeration, but I mean, I wake up in a, in a mattress with probably filled with all kinds of chemicals. I check my phone, which is probably made by unpaid children uh, across the world. You know what I mean? It's every little thing is like something. I agree. I, uh, it's something I think about all the time of just like, why do we, why do we constantly need all these things? And, and we're for what? Like we don't need fucking cell phones. We don't need to be in constant contact with people. It can be just as terrible as it can be good. <laughs> and yeah. I I had the like I had a week once where I didn't have a cell phone. It broke, and I had they had to mail me one. And I was like, oh no! And then I would go to a bookstore and look at books and not check my phone. And it was like, and I it made me. And this is like a decade ago. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with us? Like, yeah. Were you ever uh, excited when the power went out as a child? Yeah, I'm excited. You sit around with your family. You light candles. My daughter loves it. Like she, she keeps being like, if there's like, it's windy, she's like, oh, maybe the light, cause she likes to come into our, it's like, it becomes communal and we have to put on candles and then we're all in this room and we have to, we can't fucking jump on some bullshit device. And I think there's a innate sort of subconscious, like connection wanting, yearning from her that, you know. Because unfortunately, I am on my bullshit a lot, and I justify it, but it's wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong. This is why people go camping, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's part of me too that's like, oh man, survivalists. When the if the shit goes down, those unfortunately those guys are going to be the ones who, because they can go kill a deer and eat bark and get hydrated or whatever they do. Yeah. <laughs> As long as the diners can stay open, Sarah, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what they do. They go they go kill a deer and, and drink the bark of a tree. And they're just fine. All <clears throat> Did you grow up in any of world like that where you had to do stuff like that? Or was your life pretty urban? No, I didn't. I didn't know how to do anything. More recently, I've been thinking about how to make things. How did something come to be? It's such a mystery to me. Things have always been such a mystery. Like how did this object, how did this get made? You know what I mean? How do things get where they're going? How do I turn the faucet on and water comes out? And trying to figure out 
all of these things. And it's, it's so interesting. I mean, yeah. And, and thinking about how people would have made all of these things before having all the access to technology that we have and noticing that things that were made a hundred years ago, they're, they might last longer. They might be better made. It doesn't really make sense with the way that we were taught that right now things are better and easier than they've ever been before. And there's all this evidence to the contrary. (laughs) (laughs) Everything around you is saying that's not actually true at all. Yeah, there's going to be no, like, bookshelf I leave my daughter's because it came from Ikea and it'll probably not be here. You know, it'll probably fall apart in six months. Yeah, it'll collapse if you put a dictionary on it. <laughs> it has. <laughs> it's tra- it's like tragic in a weird way. That, but it's kind of fun to. It's kind of fun to follow the um, inclinations and and do things for yourself for the first time. Like I just finished. It took me eleven months, but I just finished a mosaic in the bathroom like styled after Pompeii like a marble mosaic 72 square feet it took me a really really long time a lesson in patience and frustration and perseverance and all of that but when it was when it's done it's so satisfying you know it looks it's a real thing it would be very hard to get rid of it in other words (laughs) it could last a very long time uh, yeah. Was the visual art something that was prominent in your creative life prior to the church? Yes, but not, not as much. I didn't really have as much time for it. It's been prominent in my life since I was a kid, but it's disappeared and come back. You know, I, I did a lot of drawings, um, and made books as a kid and, I did, I, I sent them, I would send them to artists that I like. I care. You probably want to read this, this book about a dog by a five-year-old. Um, That's pretty cool that you would send it though. Yeah. I don't really remember what I was thinking. It's it's an interest. It's also says, I don't know. I like that. It seems like a a strange confidence for a kid to have of like, I'm going to send this to this other artist. Yeah, and it's strange because I didn't have confidence, really. I mean, yeah, it, I don't know. And then later on, when I was on when I was on tour a lot, I started sending postcards to people because it was this mobile way of communicating, sending little notes, making collages, and I got really good at spotting the blue mailbox, you know, from the from the van or from the venue, thinking like, oh, there's the blue mailbox. I'll be able to walk, you know, between sound check, I can, I can <laughs> walk over there. <laughs> I, I find that interesting though, what you said about like being a five-year-old and not having the confidence, but that seems to be a common with creative people of like, there's this insecurity and not saying that you're insecure, but like also, but also a confidence in what they do, but the con sort of the conflict of bouncing back and forth between the two. Yeah, that's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you, are you confident within your creative work? Which is great, by the way. Mm, oh, thank you. Um, well, I guess yes and no. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always following some kind of instinct, so I can't really doubt that part of it, the instinct, but I don't know what the, like, what is the outcome of confidence? I feel like just sharing it at all. That's, that's the confidence. And for, for the visual arts, it's a lot easier for me to just fling these drawings and stuff willy nilly onto the internet. I don't feel so, I don't know. The music is much more, it's much more vulnerable. I think music is maybe the, I don't know. I don't want to say the highest art or something, but it's the most, I guess all I can say for sure is that it's the way that I feel like I can most communicate. Um, but just sound in general is, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos or um, those old artworks where they, it's sound is moving grains of sand or pigment or something into these strange geometric shapes. And if you think, wow, if that's what, if that's what sound is doing to, you know, matter, what is it doing to my body? That's an, <laughs> That's really wild. And I do, I would say I agree with music being the highest art form only because it seems to me from my little brain of what I know, but it seems like music is always that which inspires other forms of art. Jackson Pollock was trying to be like, you know, bebop and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even, and then writers were trying, like, I keep going back to the beat era and, but whatever, but like those poets were inspired by jazz music. And it's always like, it seems like it's people are trying to achieve that sort of untangible expression that can come from music. Yeah, absolutely. Do you operate that way when you create music? Like, where does that come from? I don't know. Like, not consciously, I don't think. Well, it depends what, what, what I'm doing, because I did play uh, for years with um, in a group with uh, my friend Thor and Austin, and we took that approach more, more the feeling of making music really repetitive, kind of losing yourself in the, the music time kind of contracting or expanding. Uh, but when I'm writing songs, I'm not really conscious of that. I'm more conscious of the way that listening to music has always been an all encompassing experience for me ever since I was young. Like, when you're listening to music, you can be, fully somewhere else, fully in, involved, enveloped, I guess. But I'm not really aware of that when I'm writing a song. I just know that... I just know that I'm making music. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I had a conversation with somebody on the podcast recently, and we were talking about how instrumental music was like you would never hear instrumental music on the radio now or very rarely, like at least like mainstream, you know, if you put on classical music station, then yeah, of course. Radio but, that makes me very angry. <laughs> I, you know what I do? And you might dig this is I listen to a lot of community radio and stream. And that's a lot that that's, but that's not really radio radio. That's community, but like WWOZ and actually coop. I listen to coop from Austin. Oh yeah. That was a great station. 
And that, yeah. those give me, because those, those shows are just whatever. It's free form, whoever playing whatever the fuck they want, the way it should be. <laughs> you know, and there's a, there's a website or something. This is reminding me, my sister sent it to me, where you can tune into any radio station in the world. And it's amazing. Amazing. You just go to the map, push a little button in India, and you're listening to old Bollywood music. Or there's some really confounding radio stations out there. That's and that cool. was to for a while. I need to, um, this is a reminder to go revisit that. It was so, so interesting, so fun. There's one, uh, there was an app, and I, I'll have to see if I can remember what it is. But where it's similar, but you could also pick a period of time. You could pick a decade or a year. I know that one. I, I think that one's called Radio with Many O's, right? <laughs> that one? Perhaps. I, I like that too. And that, but that was more like, a, um, you know, you're kind of curating what music you listen to. And I, I really liked that. I actually discovered some stuff that I um, really was into from that. But I also liked the live radio element of the other one. They're, they're both great. They're just two different things, you know, because you might tune in and hear somebody just talking in a language that you don't know. And that might be soothing. I would be down for that for sure. I found... I wish I just... I've found myself lately... And not consciously, I just keep finding myself and people sending me or just finding uh, like African music and like African R&B, African pop. Like there's this group I've been listening to called Frank and his sisters. And it's like, it's crazy. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know. what. Pardon me? Where are they from? Uh, the R and Frank and his sisters. I forget where they're from. Um because I'm terrible with all remembering things. But I can, I'll, I'll send it to you, because it's, um, I don't know, there's just something, and of course you don't know what they're saying, but there's just something, like you said, like it do, does something to your body, or like it does that thing where it's, you're like, ooh, I feel magical. I f- don't feel in my own space, and my, my mood is elevated. <laughs> it's like there's like a spiritual sort of essence to it. Absolutely, yeah. I, a dear friend of mine is uh, plays a West African jazz tradition that is so. It just changes. It changes the chemistry of everybody in a room. It's so beautiful to witness. And then he, he's a friend of mine that I try to help out with really mundane stuff like um, healthcare and housing and stuff like that. And the the uh, the juxtaposition between going and uh, hearing him play, seeing people's response, feeling very connected, and then the next day spending like 40 minutes on hold with Easy Pass to try to help like <laughs> resolve some issue. You know, like these two things, they could not be more different, but the music is so powerful. Is Is that what we speak of? Is that what drew you to creating music of your own or was it something else um yeah i'm not sure i was started i was studying poetry and language in college and i I liked writing poetry but i felt that it wasn't really enough my my words on the page were not 
they were not really getting the thought, but if they were set to a melody and I could choose the, the speed that they, at which they were revealed and um, maybe inflect a little bit of something into a certain word that you could only hear with the, the voice and the way it's spoken, then suddenly the poetry became more meaningful, more like what I was trying to say. I mean, if you've ever just read song lyrics off a page, it's not very satisfying a lot of the time. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of a really, the, one of the worst lyrics I could ever think of, but I couldn't as a joke. <laughs> but like one of those like, ooh, you know what I mean lyrics. <laughs> Maybe, you know, on the page, like, what is this? Uh, yeah. I find it, t- tell me if I'm crazy. And you probably decided that within 30 yeah. seconds of, yes. <laughs> but ask your question anyway. <clears throat> it is, to me, there seems to be a resurgence of poetry. Like it seems to really be getting more, maybe it's the crazy world I live in. I don't know. But like, there's a guy from South, San Francisco who's like, who's a poet and he has like 10,000 followers. And I'm like, this doesn't, Tango Eisen Martin is his name, I believe. And he's incredible, powerful. But I'm like, I find this encouraging that poets and poetry is something that's coming sort of to the front of the art world again. Am, am I crazy in that? No, I think that's very encouraging. That's very encouraging. And that is one thing about social media is that there can be some niche niche thing that you've never heard of that has, you know, if you look at it, you you get this immediate number, like 10,000 people have discovered that they, they like poetry suddenly, (laughs) whatever the case may be. So that's like, that's a good thing. I think connecting, it can be used occasionally for good, but that is encouraging. I think I, I love poetry and I think it's such a good tool who were some of the poets that that you were inspired by? Um, well, I, I liked a lot of poetry in other languages. And then I became sort of disillusioned with realizing that the languages that I don't speak, like Russian, for example, um, like Marina Tsvetaeva or Anna Akhmatsova, things like that, I realized I, I haven't really read this poetry, if I'm being honest when I read the translations, you can find a good translation, but anyway, that was like a detour. Um, I really like Bernadette Mayer too. And I met her up here. She's very uh, inspiring. And I have some friends in Austin uh, who are poets and I just like to listen to them perform or read their poetry and they make zines and pamphlets and, one of them owns a, has a press, uniform press. My friend Kyle has had a lot of poetry through there. I didn't really give you many names or anything, did I? But just as, in a, as a general rule, I like it. <laughs> that's okay. I, I, that's an interesting, I've thought that too about translations, because I'm like, I don't know, it's, it's, I, I guess it's abstract in a way, but. 
I don't know. Like, I don't feel well, like it. Pardon me? I was going to say it's, it's related to the, the musical quality of it. You know, the content and the musical quality of the words. So I think there are really good translators out there. And of course, I think everything should be translated that can be translated because you still get something from it. But you can't recreate exactly the musical quality of one language into another. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, can you read other languages? Um, Spanish and French. So the good ones. So you could read Baudelaire. I couldn't even say it. <laughs> Baudelaire. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can. It's so it's so time consuming, but it's, it's rewarding. And then I can read some other alphabets, but that doesn't really get me anywhere, except being able to read names and stuff. Um, okay, you mentioned the that you played in another another you played with a band, Telenovel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, is that, I figured that's who you were. I, I didn't know if there was others, but was Telenovel and Thor and Friends? That's what was taking uh, most of my time for the seven or so years before I left Austin. Were you were you also writing with those bands, or were you more of just like playing? Because I'm in Thor and Friends, I would write a lot, but it was instrumental music, so it was like writing a framework and then inviting people to come play within these people like to have a little bit of guidance you know in improvisation is more fun if there are a few if everyone's on the same page with these few little ideas or rules or something and then in telenovela i was i would write my parts sometimes my singing parts or my keyboard parts or sometimes um they would already be mostly written just depends yeah do do you play because you mentioned improvisation? Or do you do do you do jazz? How about that for a good sounding sentence? <laughs> hey, do you do that jazz stuff? Um, yeah, poop in the sink once, shame on you. Poop in the sink twice. That's, that's I don't know. I don't do jazz. I uh, I listen to it. I like it, but I have no musical training, so I can't ever call what what I do jazz. <laughs> do you ever think? <laughs> Just being silly, but do you have anything you call it? I'm always mm. my music. Do I call it something? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there when what was it? How what was the process or the I guess the from going from playing with these people to where you where it was you? Was there or was there a process? Yeah, I was I was always working on my music in the background. So that the album that I put out last November was I was working on it for about six or seven years before that, doing recording it myself at home, and home was a lot of different places, uh, from Austin to Lockhart and different homes there. And then uh, my friend Craig Ross, who's a friend of Thor's, was always encouraging me and I would take my demos to his studio and he would we would add things or he would run what I'd already recorded with one microphone through these different outboard gear make it sound better so then I was maybe three quarters of the way done with the record when I moved up 
to Troy, and then I had all kinds of time to finish that up. <laughs> all kinds. Of time. <laughs> are you working on new stuff? Yeah. And are you using the Baldwin Fun Machine, which I read that you used? And I just love that fucking name for an instrument, the Baldwin Fun Machine. <laughs> Have you played one? It's like a spaceship. It's no. The best. It's one of those home organs where it accompanies you. You have the beats, you have the bossa nova, the swing, the march, the slow slow rock, the jazz, the disco beat. And then you can set it to where you hold down one key and it accompanies you with this incredibly cheesy, but really good um, accompaniment. And they would come with books too, so that you could play so, like classic songs really easily by pushing one note and playing one one note melodies and having the chords accompany you. But I left that in Austin along with another organ and I know where it is now. I let, I, uh, my parents are moving. So I had to get all of the organs that I left there out of, and pianos out of the house. <laughs> um, I did that with social media and <clears throat> So yeah, the the Baldwin Fun Machine is now uh, at someone named Adam's house, and uh, it's also got a drawing that I made of the Fun Machine somewhere near it. Are you? So getting... I think people will play it if it wouldn't even he has house shows over there. Is it? What does the Baldwin? Because I don't. I didn't. I just looked it up. I didn't get a good look at it. Because I, you know, those like when I was a kid, they had people had those like you know they were big wooden things with bossa nova buttons and it had like 50 that's what it is yeah it's an organ it's like when the church is getting rid of a free organ it might be the baldwin (laughs) (laughs) fund a lot of different too of the fun machine and some of them are small They, they come from different eras i think mine might have been like late 70s or early 80s i had a particularly special um model i think because it had some extra sounds. It had a synthesizer sound and a marimba sound. And um, yeah, so if you see like a two-tiered one uh, with lots of lights. <laughs> what are you doing without your, are you do without your Baldwin Fun machine? Well, now I live in a music studio. Oh. I have more instruments here than access to more instruments here than I've ever had in my life. My partner, Jared, has built a music studio here in this barn. So we have a Steinway grand piano, Steinway upright. We bought a vibraphone. We have a marimba. We have a Wurlitzer, you know, lots of synths and guitars and stuff. I, there's no excuse for why I haven't finished another album. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have a playground, like a musical playground. Yeah, and if I weren't so busy shoveling dead baby bunnies out into the pond, I'd probably finish an album by now. <laughs> why the why the pond? Why do the bunnies go in the pond? Do you give them like a, a funeral, a fire funeral? No, this is a good question. Um, I don't know what to do with the bunnies. I just don't want my dogs to roll in them. Oh, yeah. The dogs do that? It's the worst. I would, you either bury them if you have time, 
if, you, if you're not trying to make it to a Zoom interview, you can bury them. <laughs> the pond, I think, is like a subpar. I think it's okay to put them in the pond, but I'm not really sure. I need to look that up because I, I don't know. I don't want to do anything wrong to the pond. I love the pond. Um, and I think you're, I think we probably could get away with burning too. Um, some places say not to burn animals, but I think they're more talking about cows and stuff. You know, they're not really so concerned with three and then one missing. So two baby bunnies. Um, so yeah, burying, burning. They say like, you can put them in a landfill. I'm not going to do that to a bunny. Like, put it in the trash can. Something about that just seems, like, wrong. Yeah. So those are your options. I think burying, I think there's a reason why we've always buried things, people, animals. It, I mean, like, on a, we, you know, go back to the earth type of thing. It seems, yeah. it seems to be good for the soil and all that sort of. Yeah, it makes the most sense. And uh, and I'm not talking about putting it in a box with like a little tuxedo and makeup on putting it in the ground. I don't know. Why not? That would get expensive though. You could have to keep buying bunny tuxedos. Yeah, I'd have to do a GoFundMe. But you could pick different characters of history. Just have a whole art thing that you do and you could take a picture. Here's 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 the Groucho Marx bunny. <laughs> don't tempt me. Yeah, and we had three, too, so we could have had Harpo. <laughs> yeah, no one wants Zeppo, so, you know. <laughs> Zeppo's interchangeable, and then there was Gummo, so, you know. It's... There were five. Yeah. It's a shame we didn't have this conversation two days ago. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer and Sarah Laporta. Remember, the part two, patreon.com themattdwyer.com. Go there. Check it out. It's really awesome. And um, you could watch the video and see her splendid face and my stupid face. That is all. Thank you for listening. I know how you feel. I know